0: Welcome to the Inner World of Filmmaking. I'm your host, Tammy McGarrow. I'm a writer, director, editor, and a podcast producer. In this show, I will interview filmmakers in all facets of production and distribution. I'm so excited to be talking with Greg Stouffer, who edited the award-winning documentary Mary Jane's The Women of Weed, as well as reality TV shows like Making Monsters, Building Alaska, Monogamy. He was the editor for some of the days of Beijing 2022 Olympic Winter Games, and most recently, a Long March, a feature film documentary on Filipinos in World War II. Welcome, Greg. So happy to have you on the show today.
1: It's great to be here. I love talking about editing and and filmmaking in general, and and I love your show.
0: Great. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be exciting because as an editor, too, I have so many questions. I always love to know everyone else's process for editing, how they go into it. On that note, walk me through the differences in the editing process of a documentary versus a reality series. Is there a difference?
1: There's a massive difference. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because last night uh, we actually premiered, we had the world premiere for a long march at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival and got a really good response and got a lot of people coming up to me and asking about the process for you know, how we put it together. And uh, for me, I I love telling both narrative stories, you know, scripted programming and documentary there, but they use really two different parts of your brain. Um, Mm -hmm. And it all starts with how you organize your material to to go forward. A scripted uh, program usually has, you know, scenes like scene one through 25 or whatever. And there's an order to it that you know, sometimes you can move things around and, and do flashbacks and, and move a scene up or back in, in the timeline, but for the most part the storyline is set. And what you're doing is you're just choosing the best performance or you're choosing the best way to get from scene four to scene five and how to how to transition that. But you do an audio overlap or an underlap and and things like that. So that's the that's really the biggest challenge for that is You treat each scene individually, but you also have to think in terms of the big picture and how it all flows together. Documentary is, there is no right or wrong. There is no, this is the way to do it. Every every film that I've worked on, documentary or reality even, comes at you from a different angle. You know, I've had projects where, (laughs) this is back in the day, and somebody walked up with a big box full of videotapes and said, here's 60 hours of material. I have, I don't know what's in here. Can you make a TV show out of it? Or can you make a film out of it?
0: <laughs> Great. Uh-huh. And
1: it's like, so then I have to watch all 70 hours and then figure out what the story is. That doesn't happen that much anymore. Most of the time, producers are really locked down and they say, here's all our footage. We've organized it in, into segments. Here's a paper cut that you can follow along that, that will be your your outline for this. Um, In fact, I'm starting a job today where I'm I'm really excited because it feels like the producer and director are very organized and they're going to hand me a drive that has all of the media on it and it's it's already been you know sectioned off into meaningful portions. (laughs) Oh, great. So it doesn't always happen that way. And so I have to, the first thing to do when you start a project is, is really get familiar with what are my assets. One of the things, um, and I see this all the time with especially less experienced editors, is they'll come into a project and they'll say, oh, they didn't shoot close-ups, or they didn't get do this, or they didn't do that. And it's like, that is not our job as an editor, is we have to take what they've shot and turn it into a story. We don't have the luxury of saying, oh, you're going to have to go reshoot this because her hair is horrible or something like that. It's like... right. Um, And that that happens, unfortunately, very, very often is a prima donna editor or someone who says, oh, we can't I can't do this because you didn't shoot it right. The reality is, is is you take what you get. Um, I've had, uh, you know, on, on Mary Jane's, for example, there was some scenes that were shot on on iPhones. There were scenes that were shot in the spur of the moment, in the middle of a protest. And, and so the audio and, and there's blurs and there's, you know, there's something on the lens and, and things like that. But that's part of the cinema verite process where that that's how it happened. And that's that's what you get. And I've actually had people, I've heard stories where people will go back and, you know, they shot this protest, but the camera work was bad. So they'll try and restage it with with actors or with <laughs> maybe even bringing the people back and say, okay, now pretend that you're in the moment, heat of the moment. What are the things that you were saying? And that happens, unfortunately, pretty frequently. Um, but I can sniff that out when I'm watching a documentary, I can tell when something's been staged or something's been, um, you know, re, you know, reshot or picked up, uh, for for dramatic purposes, so
0: yeah, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> I, <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <think>.
0: <laughs> I guess maybe to other people, maybe they're not they're not as editors. We probably have this uh, magnifying glass as we're watching everything. Like, oh, that wasn't a good cut, yeah. and uh, yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> and I just uh, so I've been at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival, and and they've been showing films at at the DGA Theater, and and now they're in, in Little Tokyo. But one of the programs that I watched, it was called Digital Histories. And it was, what they've done is they, they run a class for older Asian Americans and they basically encourage them to make a documentary or of their of their life. So from a technical perspective, it was really crude and really rudimentary. And, you know, the cuts were horrible and things like that, but the stories were magnificent. And so for me... You know i at first my editor my editor brain was like frapping all you know, fixing all of it, oh no, they should' have done this, why didn't they dissolve, blah blah blah, you know it's like right, yeah, and then I, as soon as I, I was able to separate that and just be in the moment with the story, you know sometimes editing actually gets in the way of a really good story,
0: <laughs> yes, yeah,
1: our job as editors is to is to make sure that we're um capturing that moment and making it as. Visceral and as real and and moving the plot along, moving the film, but also knowing the big picture. How does this scene fit into the other one hundred and twenty scenes that make up this film? One of the common mistakes that editors make is they'll they'll spend all their time editing each scene individually and not really thinking about how to thread those together. And sometimes, like uh, with Mary Jane's, the Women of Weed, we. We finished the edit and we were showing it to people and, and people were, the responses we were getting, people were having trouble following, you know, and you went from, you know, talking about social justice, to so suddenly you're talking about eco-sustainability. So we realized what we needed to to create was something called road mapping, where you actually help your audience through, okay, now we're, we're talking about this. And now we're going to talk about this. And how do you do that? Is it sometimes it's graphic, little? Sometimes it's um, you know it's an animation that that walks you through. Okay, we're done with this subject. We're talking about. It's almost like reading a textbook and starting a new chapter heading.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes you know in a in a in a really to me the challenge is to make those invisible, but make them. They, they keep the 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 through line going. So the the audience doesn't hit what I like to call speed bumps. You're walking along and then something happens. You're like, wait, you know, and it takes you out of the story or out of the edit. And, you, and you're watching now you're watching the process. And it's like, why did they do that? Why are they using this music here? And why are they And the minute your audience starts questioning the process? You've lost the the story.
0: Yeah, I didn't think about that where. Um, sometimes we know the subject matter and we just assume everybody else is going to know it too. Yeah. And not every, you have to kind of treat it like, like a third grader, like mm-hmm. bridging the gap for some, you know, for people to follow along. And you're right with the, <laughs> keeping the, keeping you in the story, not in the editing You know, where you're like, whoa, why was that? And I just watched something recently and I was watching and I, you know, I watched so many things, I can't remember what it was, but I remember thinking, ooh, that was a bad cut or that, you know, why are we still on this? Like, like, why aren't we seeing the other view? Of that you know so and you and again, you never know what's going on in the process, maybe they didn't have anything for the other side, or you know the uh, you know you just there's a whole bunch of things
1: right that go on and that's the other I think that another important job for the editor is sometimes an editor for me that the, the ideal situation is you bring the editor in when you're forming the project and you say. All right. We haven't shot it yet, but here's what we're thinking. And the editor, if you're brought in at that point in the storyboarding process or the story forming process, the editor can bring things like, Oh my gosh, this would be really cool. We can, we can do a transition from this scene to that scene. If we, you know, if you, if you, if this scene ends with these two car headlights and then we, you do a kind of a frame match to her eyeballs and you do the slow lap dissolve. And now suddenly you've now, cemented these two scenes and and you know sometimes that can be you know over the top and sometimes that will say oh you know you will know, we'll, we'll just figure out we'll just fade to black in between and fade up and it's like yeah to me whenever I see a, a dip to black in the middle of a of a film um that usually is oh, the editor waving a white flag I can't figure out how to get between these two <laughs> It's not always the case. Right. Sometimes you need it for a time lapse or or a you know a, a chapter turn, something like that. But for me, a, a really seamless edit is one where the audience just gets in the gets in the the roller coaster and you take them on a ride and then they when it's done, they get out. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I was on this ride the whole time. And or, you know, and and you took them through laughter and tears and and so last night uh, at our world premiere I you know we had this beautiful theater um I sat in the in the corner and I I wasn't watching the film because I now have seen it probably a thousand times right yeah but I was watching the audience and making sure that you know the points that I needed them you know to laugh that that it got the chuckle that it needed, or that there is a a part in this film where one of our characters dies rather suddenly, and it's a very important moment in the film, and I was watching the audience, and there was a a physical recoil and a gasp, an audible gasp, and I was like, yes! (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, yeah, we got you. No, it was like, but it was... (laughs) It is an emotional moment where I still cry when I watch my that film. Yeah, there are a couple moments where I just like I tear right. up, and that to me is is a sign. After even after watching it thousands of times and living with this film for three years, I know my my emotional moments and right. knowing what your um, your hard beats are and making sure that you land those effectively is is really your your job as an editor
0: yeah i think that's very important um do you think that as you were saying with the uh production planning would you want to be a part of the shooting itself or you're saying hey i just want to be involved with the script before you go shoot then i'll go back to my edit suite you know or would it be advantageous for you to be on the film shoot (laughs) watching it grabbing the footage and maybe simultaneously editing
1: Well, one of the things, um, so I I ran a a production company in Denver for 20 plus years and and outside of, of LA, New York, when you're in a, you know, a smaller market, you have to wear a lot of hats. So I was a writer. I was a cinematographer. I was one of the last film production companies to actually shoot on 16 millimeter film. But I was also, I realized that most of the Need for my skill set was in in post production and editing. There are a lot of people that know how to operate uh, editing equipment or use the software, but learning how to tell a story and amplify a story through you know pace and mood and music and 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 just editing style is really something that that becomes crafted you know over time and experience so then after um the market in denver started to to dissolve and i looked across the border in new mexico and film production was just exploding i mean you had longmire you had breaking bad and better call saul and all of this production going on and and that the government was kicking in incredible incentives Um, And we moved down there and the the response that I kept hearing was we don't do post-production in New Mexico. I was like, well, that that can't be true. (laughs) Turns out it is. But for the most part, L.A. was using New Mexico as kind of a backlot. And it's a beautiful place to shoot. And you can put together really good crews of grips and electric and sound and lighting. And you can put together the crew. But all of the editing then gets shipped back to L.A. or New York for... Cause that's where the editors live and that's where they love like to be. So I kind of moved to New Mexico and I was really pitching this process of this concept of concurrent post. So the typical scenario for, especially in the narrative world is if you're shooting a film, you'll shoot for, you know, 30 to 60 days and then you'll take a month off and then you'll, you'll go and travel and then you'll sit down with your editor and then you'll, you'll edit for three to six months. And the problem with that is, you know, on the big budget movies, if, if you're spending $100 million, post is really not that, is not really a cost item. But it, on those smaller budget films, you know, even, you know, $5 million or less where post is actually really critical, I was introducing the concept of concurrent post where they start shooting on day one, I get the, the dailies and I get the rushes and I start editing on essentially day two. And so the whole time I'm cutting scenes um, as they're being shot or within a day of them being shot. So when the director, usually the scenario is after they finish shooting for the day, the director will go and watch what we call dailies or rushes from the day before Well, they'll say, okay, this is all the footage that I shot yesterday. But what I was able to do is I was actually cutting them and and not just assembling them but doing fine cuts with music and effects and and dialogue overlaps and things like that. So at the end of a shoot day they would watch what the, they would watch an entire scene cut you know from the day before and they were to be able to make decisions like wow, I'm not getting the performance that I thought I was getting. And you don't know that until you start splicing it together. Sometimes one of the actors in a scene is really carrying the other one or another one is like missing they're missing they're not on the same page and because the way we shoot films we shoot her close-ups and then an hour later we shoot his close-ups and sometimes you know depending on that how the actors are feeding each other lines working off each other sometimes there's a mismatch that you don't figure out until you're in the edit and then the normal way of doing posts you're not going to find out those things until 4 to 6 months after you've shot this scene and now you're going to have to bring those actors back if if there is a problem if you didn't get what you needed and you have to reshoot it's a very expensive process so on those medium especially the independent features it makes a lot of sense to do concurrent post i did a, a series for um, AMC's all black channel called Craig Ross Jr.'s monogamy. And I did season three and they, they had done the first two seasons and it took, you know, they spent eight to nine months in post-production. Well, I was, I was concurrent posting it. We shot, uh, six episodes and they averaged about 38 minutes. They shot it in 25 day or 20 days of shooting by day 25, we were at picture lock on the first two episodes. Wow! And delivering those so for color correction and audio and, and things like that, and, and the musician now could score to that. Where usually that you can't have your composer even look at a at a rough cut. You ha- you want them to look at the the picture lock so that they're they're if they're doing scoring to the mute to the picture, it has to be locked. And sometimes that doesn't happen for months and they, you know, it creates all sorts of scheduling issues. But so I was just starting to, you know, to get the concept of concurrent post sold in New Mexico and COVID hit (laughs) and everything stopped and everything just ground to a halt and we were starting to see the industry come back around, but I mean, I, we couldn't wait another two years for for the concept to sell. So, so I I still feel very strongly about you know the the concept of concurrent post, but I can't I can't care more about that than the industry does. And there there are only a handful of people that will understand the value and the merit of shooting or editing while you're shooting. Now, I when you say you know, being on set, it's probably not a good idea for the editor to be on set. You know, we tend to be very opinionated and it's like, oh, if you can do one more take and have her, you know, and, you know, and we start noticing that the continuity things that, you you know, she, she kind of, in the first take, she grabbed it with her right hand. And that was the best take for me. But the rest of the takes, she kept grabbing it with her left, and and you've now established it that you're going to do all the left. But I really like that first take because. So those are the kinds of things where and having an editor on set can can actually be detrimental, right? So, and we understand. I mean, yeah. One of the things that I always um, and I, I my wife Tammy was the director of a long march, and, and uh, it is. Uh, there's always the director editor relationship is always a little, a little bit, uh, friction. There's some friction there. And there should be, there should be some push back and forth. It's like the director wants this. The editor says, I can give you that, but not quite the way you want. Let's try and do, you know, and, and so there's, so there's some push and pull. And, and then when you add on top of that, the whole marital, right.
0: You know, yeah. That's oh,
1: okay. you Yes, you want to do a, a dissolve there, but uh you know you you left your towel on the bathroom floor again, so you don't get that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I won't say it did it didn't get that petty, but um <laughs> wow, but that's those, a little that comes,
0: manipulative though <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's but that's the the interplay and and so um you know. What I always and what I kept reminding Tammy, and what I think she, what has made her a great director is um, there's a difference between uh, instinct and opinion. I mean, we all have opinions. We hear a piece of music and we say, "Oh, I hate it. I love it. It's uh, make it, uh, it sucks. It's horrible." But we also have, you know, to to me, the most important thing to have as a production. Uh, either a producer director or an editor is instincts. It's like, I don't, I would never listen to this piece of music in my car. It's not my, you know, genre, but it absolutely works in this scene. And it's, you know, it's the right mood. It's the right tone. It's the right pace. And I can, you know, I can hit these beats on it and things like that. So developing instincts and, and sometimes those instincts go against your opinions I used to get notes when I worked on network TV shows and it's like, you know, uh, a note from a a network executive that says, Oh, I don't like this. And that is the least helpful note you can give me. It's like, okay, is it too, is it too mellow? Is it too exciting? I mean, there was one instance where we, we were working on a show and the, the network executive sent us a note that says, I don't like piano music. And there were four of us working on the show and the 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 in the producer inside the the production company says, "Okay, we gotta get rid of all of our piano music, and we can't take we can't put anything that has piano music on it and blah blah you know so we 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 basically took a tremendous tool out of our our toolbox and we eliminated piano music for like three months and then a about three months later, the, the that producer came to visit the office and I re- asked the question, I was like, what, why don't you like piano music? She's like, what are you talking about? I love piano music. And uh, we showed her the note that became this universal note for the, the whole show. And she's like, oh, I meant to say I don't like that piece of piano music. And so that's the kind of overreaction and to an opinion that flies in the face of of your instincts. And there's, that's why pushing back sometimes as an editor, when somebody gives you a note, you can't you just say, all right, this is a stupid note, but I'll do it her way. Cause she's the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to do some of that, but you, you can choose your battles. You can say, you know, I really, I, I want her to understand why I cut that I use that piece of music or why I cut it this way. And so it is okay to, to push back and not be afraid to say, I'm going to challenge you on this note. And, you know, they appreciate that. I think when you say, when you're, I was like, Oh, you know, I was, I didn't really, I wasn't, I don't really have a strong opinion about that. It's just when I watched it, it didn't feel right. So I, I made a note. And I was like, well, what if I did this? Or what if I did? Oh yeah, that would work. And so sometimes our fear of upsetting you know, producers and and directors can sometimes get in the way of creating really good product.
0: Yeah. And I think you bring up uh, several good points there. One is get clarification. Don't just react. Right. Um, Because I think too many times we're a reactive society uh, (laughs) instead of just going, wait, uh, what did you mean by that? And then we do all this work to have to rework it again when we find out it wasn't exactly what we thought. And also, you know, people are busy. They're just like throwing out stuff and sometimes they're not even attached to the stuff they're throwing out, you know? And that with clarification, it will save you a lot of work. And also to take a breath. I know that sometimes, you know, in the editing it's, you know, you're on a time restraint. So you kind of got to keep moving forward. So sometimes it is hard to just say, Okay, I'm gonna take a break on that one, and then come back to it. But um, but if you have that relationship, like you do with Tammy, you know, that you could take a step back and say, Hey, can I just take you through my process? Because the other thing is, is the editor is in it. They're making decisions on the cuts with music, everything that other people are not considering or even knowing all the footage you had to go through to get to that. Yeah. So um, sometimes that's that, that can be a little frustrating. I I know for the editor of like, you don't get it, <laughs> but then it's also, I think communication is key. And I think a lot of times we don't, we're not transparent. We think we are, we think we're explaining it, but we're not. And that if we can just take a step back or a beat and just go, okay, I, I'm going to do the benefit of the doubt. And I'm just going to, you know, just communicate instead of being angry. I think it's, we can get a lot, you know, more understood than we do sometimes. That's
1: that's well put. I mean, and that's part of the process is, is we as editors are kind of the, the last, the last line of defense for, for a story. And it's like somebody wrote this or somebody came up with a concept. Somebody went out and, told the camera which way to point and what to capture on the other end of that lens. And, and, you know, where to point the microphone and and what sound is important and, and, you know, ask the right questions of that person. And, and, um, the frustrating thing for us is is when I get a note and it's like, um, uh, I just, I just edited a Christmas movie (laughs) and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the opposite of Tammy's, you know World War Two documentary, but it's you know it it really has the same same issues of storytelling. It's like I have to uh, when you're cutting a narrative, is you're really eighty percent of your decisions are based on performance, mm-hmm. um, and especially you know it, it has it, this film has one star in it, but but a lot of not <laughs> not a list talent, and and so you have to. Be careful that, you know, when your star is in a scene with a lesser actor, sometimes they can just chew them up and and spit them out. And it, you see that mismatch in abilities and your job as an editor is to sometimes to balance that. And, and sometimes it means, uh, taking the star down a notch. (laughs) Mm -hmm, and Sometimes it means, you know, having to watch all 20 takes of this person until they, there was one word that they never got right. And sometimes I can, what we call frankenbite and i can actually cut in the middle of a word that are film film another part and i can make that that performance better but it, it's it's not easy and and the actor did did not do me any favors but i don't care and and at the end of the day our job is is to make what i call avoid speed bumps. Is we want the audience to watch this through and the minute in a narrative film the minute you feel your actors are acting, you've lost, you've lost your audience. Yeah. So knowing I would say, Oh, you know, and, and sometimes it's, it's as simple as, you know, if somebody stutters or if somebody, you know, double clutches on a word and it's like, Oh God, it's, I need them to do that cleanly. And it's like, you know, yes, that would make more sense. But in the emotional moment it's I I I buy that she would stumble over this word love, I, I love lo- lo- love you or whatever it is. You know? Right. It's it's like you know in a perfect world, no, you get rid of the stutter and you just say I love you, and it's like it's wonderful. But there can be some subtext in that stumble and that that misread of a of a script. And sometimes you know the an actor will go off script for by just a couple of words. And, you know, of course, everyone freaks out on the set and is like, oh, she said this instead of that. And, um, and so, so, all right, we'll do another take where she says it right. And, and then that person, then the actress gets in her head, I have to say this. I have to say this. I have to say this. And then, so a lot of times if with less experienced actors, um, the first couple takes are usually where I look for the better performance. By the time they start getting into takes four, five, six, and seven, the the freshness is gone and they're just repeating words and they're hitting syllables and they're thinking about, they're not thinking about the character and the, and the emotions that are driving them. They're thinking about, Oh, I have to say the, and I have to say word, blah, blah, you know, and it's in you, you can watch an actor fall out of, uh, or fall into acting rather than their, their character. So, I love that challenge. And and sometimes, you know, the director will say, isn't there a better take of this? And, you know, the answer is I, I watched all, you know, all 12 takes of this scene. This is the best one. And this is the best way to cut this. And I can show you uh, the beauty of, of, you know, nonlinear editing is if someone says, "Did you know, didn't you do better on the first take? And I say, here, let me show you. And <laughs> it's like, here's the first take. Here's the one I used, and and then <laughs> the director can say, yeah. "Oh, I see why you did that." And it's like, you know, I felt when I was act when I was working on this set, you know, because again, this is this happens. There's so many things that a director has to watch when they're filming that you miss some of the subtleties and some of the nuance. Uh, sometimes the best performance from an actor is when they're feeding lines and they're not on camera, but they're, you know, so you wouldn't think that, Oh, you know, her clothes, She but she was just feeding lines, but she gave the best delivery because she wasn't, she wasn't on. And so she's, she was basically trying to help the other actor or the other character get to where they needed to emotionally. So that she was actually doing a better job with her lines when she wasn't you know the star or the or the close-up so and recognizing that and sometimes pulling that out of that performance out of um what what most people uh say you know only look at the circle takes and and what that means is is when you're filming uh a narrative film the, the script supervisor keeps notes at the end of every take. They say, Oh, the director liked this or no, he didn't. He hated the whole thing. And they scratch out that, that whole take. Well, sometimes it's a two minute scene. And if you scratch out the whole take, because they really screwed up one sentence, but they've nailed like four or five of the other ones. It's like, I always go and I don't just go by the, the selected takes and the circle takes. I, I look at everything because there's sometimes there's, there's magic in, in those.
0: Yeah. And I gotta say, I do the same thing.
1: (laughs) I don't always go off
0: with the director thought was the best stuff because um, again, like you said, you know, it's nerve wracking being on set and directing and trying to get it while you have, you're answering a billion questions and all that and trying to, and you see it a certain way, but then once you, uh, the editor gets it, they're seeing it with new eyes. Yeah. You know, and and also um, I was thinking, too, the editor is kind of the last director. Mm-hmm. They're the one that has to put the thing together and they can, you know, make or break a film. Yeah. Um, I always think they they I hope they more make the film um, even better than maybe it was conceived because they're finding things because they have to make it work. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you're working closely with the director and sometimes you're not. Um, how do you like working with the director?
1: I like working alone for as long as I can. Now, there comes a, a point where, like on, on the monogamy edit, where, you know, I, I was cutting and I was doing my best version. You know, I would use his the script notes and say, you know, you like this take. So I, I used as much of that, but I found this, this gem in this outtake where they only got through three lines, but the first one, she just nailed it. And so those are the kinds of the, the magical things. And, and then when you, the director comes, there does need to be some time where you sit down and you show them and they like, you watch a scene and they're like, okay, let's look at all the different versions of this word. If you, if you've organized your project in such a way that you can say, okay, here's, here's take one of that word. Here's take two of that word here's take three. And then they can say, yeah, you chose the right one. Or they can say, you know what? I know it's weird, but let's try just pulling that word and putting it in there. And so that's where the collaboration happens. Now, I will say that there are are directors that love to be over your shoulder the entire time. What it does is it will add days and, and sometimes weeks to an edit. If if you're going to be sitting with me and I tell the editor that is like, if, or the director say, if you'll give me two weeks to do my version, I will, I will sit with you for three days. But if you sit with me for two weeks, it's going to take four weeks to do what, what we can, what we need to do just because, you know, part of my process is, is I have gotten to the point with, you know, both Avid and, and uh, Adobe Premiere where i can edit as fast as i think so the process of oh do i need to backspace do i hit jk and you know hold command you know it's like that process is gone so it's now i'm I'm like flying around and sometimes editors or the director will be watching me and saying you just hit you just did something (laughs) you just edited in two directions at the same time and it's like because my brain is 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 solving problems and and if i have to stop and explain oh, yeah, what I did was, was this and that. And, and, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes it for me the best process is to let the editor do their cuts and then I think sometimes notes, again, there's a, a, a really great program out called Frame.io where I can post a sequence and the director can watch it and, and add his notes. Um, but, again, the problem with notes is, is there's no pushback it's like change this you know do that do this you know and it, it becomes these edicts and it's like whereas if he's sitting here i can say okay i could do that but here's why i did that there's a there's a horrific continuity error where you know he stands up on this line in this take and he stands up on this line in that take and i got around it by doing this and it's also the best performance So, oh okay that's why you did that i can live with my lead, my second favorite line because it works from a continuity standpoint
0: right and also um sometimes notes are confusing and yeah. and then you don't know what the heck they're asking you to do <laughs> i've had that right. too um and uh, you know i've worked with directors where that's all they do is they give me notes through through an email or you know through the, uh, something like that frame frame io right and that's hard to work i think to work where you're not even talking to the director. It's like, okay, well, could we sit and do it in person or on Zoom or something? Um, And the other thing I was thinking too is, yes, I totally agree with, you're hiring the editor for a reason. Let them take the first pass at the film because they're going to go a lot faster. I remember when I was starting out, in the beginning, I was on a feature film and I was editing and he would, it was an independent film. So he'd come over to my house. I would edit with him. He would tell me what, oh my God. I, I thought <laughs> never again, never again will I do that. Um, because it just slows down the process. And also you're not trusting the editor to put it together. You're, and it takes so much longer right, uh, to do it. So I, I definitely think that you got to, you got to let the editor do their thing and then come in and make notes and
1: stuff. Well, and I I do notice that I see a lot of, especially in the independent world and, and first time directors, you know, some of them, if they've gone through film school, they've taken an editing class and they know how to operate, you know, they know how to make a sequence in Adobe Premiere or maybe even Avid. And they've, so they know the tool. And so They consider themselves an editor, but if you're the writer director, um, and and I'll I'll throw this out for as a really hard general rule: do not edit your own stuff. Bring in another voice. In fact, you know, especially if you've done both the writing and the directing, you have you have been working, you have been watching this film in your sleep for sometimes nine years. (laughs) And for to to basically, yeah, we call it killing your babies sometimes there's a, there's a, a precious moment in your film that it's been part of your dreams and and you've you've created this scene in your brain, and unfortunately, when the editor sees it, he says, "There's no reason for that to be in the film. Sometimes the director's head just goes. And it's like no, that's my baby. I cannot cut that out. And I had to, you know, I had to, you know, pay a special fee to get that location. And my brother-in-law's car is in it. And and but you know, and you have all of this emotional baggage attached to a a scene or even a shot sometimes. <laughs> and it's really hard to let go of that. But but sometimes, if uh you know if a really First of all, if you're a uh, director, you, you hire an editor that you trust, and then you know sometimes it's it's really hard for me as as an editor to to gain that trust. The first time I work with someone, it's like you know I have to proof up and I have to um, show that that I can you know, and so I tend to over over deliver sometimes. Like the the Christmas movie that I just cut, you know, it's, they gave me. Uh, they gave me four weeks to edit it, and I did it in twelve days. And it was—it was, it was actually—it was not just a rough assemble. It was—it was a really fine edit. And I even did some three D graphics and things. So I over deliver because I feel very passionate about this, and I want the there not to be any speed bumps where the director says, Whoa, wait a minute." And and I took some liberties with with the structure of the film where where you know he told the script and he he had written the script with his uh his wife and and they had been working on it for years and it was a very linear story but there's what it did was it put all of these scenes of you know the actors as children in the very beginning and so the first 10 minutes you have uh and your star doesn't show up until 18 minutes into the film and it's actually a named star that would people would like click on it to see that person. So I basically took that first eighteen minutes and I I used it in flashbacks. And it made sense because this is, you know, a a nostalgic Christmas movie and and there's this wonderful moments to to create them as flashbacks. Well, the first time I sent it to him, he wanted to see it. He says, I have to see it the way I wrote it. So I had to kind of uncut the script and, and put it back together and and then he basically said, okay, I see why you did that. And you were right. So let's go back. And and that's okay. Now, do
0: you save, do you save sequences or oh, timelines? Do you? Yeah. <laughs> For the, uh, it's awful when you don't, and then you're yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and know, how do
0: you do that? What's your thought on that? Like how often do you save a timeline and duplicate it? At what points do you do that?
1: The, the, the best rule of thumb and, and, you will learn this the first time you get burned because you like you roll through something and you never saved it. And then all of a sudden it crashes and you turn, you start it up and it's like it for, it didn't save the last two weeks of work, you know, and you're just like,
0: ah, my God.
1: So I bet, you know, there is a backup and, and saving process. I'm not real. Um, I don't get real anal about it, but, you know, most of the time like Premiere and, and Avid are really good at, at doing backups every 15 to 20 minutes and you're sitting there editing and all of a sudden you'll get the, the spinning wheel. And it's like, <laughs> right. I know editor, Oh God, I hate that thing. It's like, I love that thing because it's doing what I yes. should be doing, yes. but it's saying, all right, every 20 minutes. So if I ever get a crash, I'm only allowed the last three or four decisions that I made. Well, and it, and it also, if if you're ever you know trying something, if you say, "Let me try it this way," you duplicate that sequence and you say, and you create a new one, and 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 make sure you you have a naming convention. So I look at, I do a lot of editorial fixing where people will bring me in on a project where you know we've had five different editors, none of them could do this. Can you fit? Can you save this? And I'll look at the timeline, and it is it's a train wreck. And then you look at the bins and it's like untitled sequence 17, untitled sequence 18, you know, and it's just like, how do you know? And it's like just coming up with some naming <laughs> conventions yourself and just saying, right. okay, this is a rough cut. And I, then I call it a, you know, a rough assemble. And then, you know, I mean having your own convention so that you know the difference between this and that. And sometimes it's just putting the date on it, on the sequence. So you say, okay, this is Thursday's edit. You know, <laughs> and then this is, you know, March 12th or whatever it is. And and you, you then can go back and say, you know, I, I went off on this tangent and I liked where I was a week ago. You can go back and find that scene. And, and, and it it doesn't exist or it still exists. I did start out in film school. I was cutting film, you know, where you're, you know, cutting and taping and splicing and, and then, but when you cut film, Mm -hmm. it's, it, it was you, every decision was, yeah, it was, it was kind of final. And and even if you decide to like, I want to put two frames back into that (sighs) when you put two frames in a film back in and there's tape and and when it flies through the gate, it's like, (sighs) it's all, it's all jittery. And so it doesn't look right when you're cutting it. So you kind of, if you came from, from the hands on element of filmmaking, you're, you're a little more leery about making decisions. The beauty of nonlinear editing is non-destructive. So you can, you can throw things, you can try, I'm going to do this, you know, one frame edit thing all the way through this little sequence. It's going to, it's going to be really bizarre, but let me just try it. And if it doesn't work there, let me try it two frames and let me try three frames. And so it's the, the ability to, to be non-destructive and, 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 and to experiment with things is, is freeing for me because I can say, you know, as long as I save that version of it, I'm going to play for an hour. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, I can go back to where I was and, and, and no harm, no foul.
0: So what is when you get a project, what is your go-to edit program? Like if, if somebody said, here's my project, you can edit it in any editing software, which one would you typically pick?
1: That's a, that's a great question. I think a lot of people, you know, there, there are so many reasons to, to choose one over another. And usually it's, it's comfort or familiarity. Oh, I, the last project I did was in Premiere and I'd like to stick with that. For me, I, I started out as um, I was the second avid editor in the state of Colorado when they first in- introduced this piece of software, I was the first client. And then I said, I, you know, cause I, I came up through film school and then I was a producer writer, producer in advertising. And the hardest part was sitting, you know, in an edit, I had to sit behind the the table and, and CMX editing was this, this whole computer driven thing. And, and uh, you know, the, the editor was like the wizard of Oz who ignored Mm -hmm. that man. (laughs) And I had to sit and say, Hey, can you trim that by 10 seconds? And I, and I was always removed. And then when Avid came out, I said, Oh my gosh, I get to sit in the chair and I get to play and I get to, I get to use my editing skills. So, so I learned Avid. And then I was an Avid certified instructor for seven years. where I would teach people from all around the country you know, they would come out and take a 10 day class, and I would teach them everything they need to know about Avid. Um, and I would sign a little diploma, and I would get calls from people and say, Hey, you signed this guy's diploma, and he's a horrible editor. And I was like, I taught him how to use the tool. I cannot, in 10 days, teach somebody how to edit. And it's a difference between I told them how to use Avid, I didn't teach them why to use Avid. <laughs> right. And so, so that's, so I, and Avid started out as the industry, uh, they were the first to the to market in in nonlinear. I'm going to do a quick history here. I feel like I'm <laughs> a teacher, but then Final Cut came out with something that they realized because Avid, in order to, to buy an Avid early on, it was, you know, a $20,000 investment or 60,000, but you needed all the equipment. And it's like, and then Final Cut came out with, here, you can, you can download this and and edit on your computer. And, and so it had, it, they stole a lot of the tools from Avid, but it was not a, it was not a professional industry standard. It was, it was for home video, but what it did was it, and then, and then Adobe came in, I think after that, but at this point now, um, Avid is no longer, you know, a $20,000 investment you can pay a monthly it's it's all cloud-based now so you can use avid for you know between 50 and 70 dollars a month um you can do the the adobe um uh clouds, creative cloud for i think that's all you can get it for as low as 25 a month um and i like i really have gotten to love adobe because that includes After Effects, it includes Audition, it includes all of these wonderful, you know, even Photoshop or um, Illustrator, if you're if you're familiar with those programs. So you can, you know, you can be editing and you can jump over to After Effects and fix something and it'll go right back into your sequence. Or you can, you know, if you've got some wind noise, you could go over to Audition and you can fix it and then it'll throw it back in the sequence. So Adobe is is for most people. Um, I would say where editing on Adobe Premiere is is makes the most sense. Where Avid makes sense still is if you're having to do share the project with multiple editors. Um, when we did the Olympics for NBC, you know the media is coming in live, and and at the same point it's being used by 20 different editors are using the same footage at the same time. And so that would just absolutely kill premiere and, and final cut. I'm I've, I've kind of given up on it mostly because, uh, the way that they treat audio, it, you know, there are a lot of people that love the, the interchangeability of, uh, or the, um, the flexibility of, of using final cut. But if you have to send your audio to, I, I did a, a film where we were, doing the audio post at Skywalker ranch. And when I'd send them the final cut audio, they just looked at it and said, this is not professional. We can't do this. And it was like, it's because, because of the way that final cut organizes. I mean, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but I would say if you are planning on working for a major production company, a studio, a network, they're probably going to want to cut it on Avid because they're going to want to have you cut it. And then have another editor cut it. It's so easy just to send them a bin. And it's like, if they, if you have the same media, they can, they can repopulate it. Mm -hmm. Where most entry level people love Premiere is one of the issues with Avid is you have to ingest it as an an Avid program. So all of your media, when you shoot it, you that there's a step where you have to ingest it into Avid. Whereas, both uh, Adobe and Final Cut you can like put in your drive the uh, the footage you shot this morning and just start editing it 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 finds it and it reads it and it uses it so again there's there's some reasons to do it that way there's some reasons not to most of the time, if you're working with Avid, you want to be in a professional environment where you have an assistant editor who's in charge of naming the files and, and syncing the, the audio. And uh, if it's shot multicam, you know, they'll, they'll do the syncing and things like that. So there's more powerful tools, but it's usually associated with the higher end projects. So, Avid, if you're, so learning Avid makes sense only if you're, you're going to be working for a, a network or a studio.
0: Okay. And then what about uh, DaVinci Resolve?
1: You know, I, I'm i embarrassed, but I, I haven't learned that one yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I work in DaVinci. I'm now working in Adobe Premiere. So it's interesting. And I started in Final Cut. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, the different platforms. There's always the pros and cons that you like about each one that the other one doesn't have. Right. But then there's some cool things like I just in Adobe where you can take music and you can shrink it down and then it redoes it. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I started teaching, they asked me to teach a class on after effects and at the college level. And and it was like, okay, I I use after effects to do things like, you know, a lot of times in commercial stuff, you you have to blur a license plate and you have to track that if if the car is moving, you know, to, to be able to, -hmm. I called it forensic editing, where you have to hide things. It's like uh, there was a a film where they were shooting in a a castle, and it was like you know it was supposedly took place in the 1300s, and there's knights fighting and stuff. And there was a an exit sign because it was they were shooting in a a tourist and they covered it with a blanket, Mm -hmm. but somehow during one of the takes, it got knocked off. So there's this beautiful scene with these knights fighting it out and and it's handheld and it's, but there's an exit, a green exit sign up in the corner through the whole thing. And so the ability for, you know, Adobe After Effects is wonderful at at tracking that. So, so I, I learned how to, you know, I would figure out how to make it do the things that I wanted to. But when I taught a class in After Effects, I had to go back and learn from the, from the ground up. And it is an amazing program. And especially if you, if you step back and, and you actually, you know, do the tutorials and, and you say, Oh my gosh, I can do this. And, you know, it gets into advanced things like puppeteering and, and, you know, animation and, and, um, you know, tracking uh, things as, as you go, it's, it's, it's a great program. So that's why I would you know, I'm, I'm do you know, quite a bit on, on premiere uh, and really at the end of the day, these, these are tools. I'm at the point in in my editing process where the 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 process doesn't exist for me anymore. It's all about the product. So that's it. It's it it is a tool and once you figure out how to use that tool, you and and the the process becomes invisible, then you can concentrate 100% on the product. And you're just trying to figure out how do I make these two lines go together? Or how do I make these two scenes transition. You know, do I do a solve? Do I do a, uh, you know, does a cut work? Does, do I start the audio first? Do I start the audio after? Do I bleed things through? That to me is, is when an editor really starts editing. As a general rule, when you edit something, you should make it shorter. (laughs) I've watched some things that's like, oh my gosh, why is this so long? And it's like, Mm -hmm. they're choosing not to cut stuff that is like, If you cut out all of the stuff that I don't need, you would have 10 seconds of brilliance rather than, you know, a minute and 20 of, you know, awkward, you know, I'm watching somebody struggle. (laughs) Right. So, you know, finding, finding that balance and and sometimes, you know, using music to, to move things along, you know, sometimes it's a crutch and you can tell that, oh, they're just, you know, they couldn't think of how to do this, but there is a solution to everything. And and that's one of the things that, that I got a lot of work because I would never say, Oh, you have to reshoot this. I can't, I can't make it work. It's like, I can make that work. <laughs> and sometimes there were times where like, did I really say that I can make this work? It's right. Yeah. We had uh, this Christmas movie. One of the actors had, uh, I think it's aphasia. It's the, the thing that Bruce Willis turns out he has now where, he was this brilliant guy and he was awesome in rehearsals. But when the camera was rolling, he could not say two sentences in a row. And he was a very important figure. And by this time they'd already invested in him. So they couldn't, you know, we had to come up with creative ways to, to make sure that the performance came across and you, you know, they had to kind of spoon feed him lines on the set. And, and so I couldn't cut it in the typical way I had to find ways to, and it, and we pulled it off and, and the audience will never know uh, that this actor was struggling with this issue. And I think that's where, again, as an editor, I'm probably more proud of, of that kind of work than something that I've edited where it was, you know, a multimillion dollar production with high production values. Sometimes those edit themselves and you're like, oh, I can get to, I get to put it on my reel and take credit for it. But it really wasn't that hard. <laughs>
0: Right. Well, it, you know, it was reminding me of the forensic, you know, cutting things together or or just being a surgeon. <laughs> you have to fix things, yeah. you know, in a way. And, th- and that's the fun part is being creative to something. So I guess it's always looking at each project, even if you're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? It's more like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. This yeah. is great. Yeah. 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 So just spinning it in a different way. Because anything is possible. You just got to get creative about how you're, how you're going to go about doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Greg. This was great.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I love talking about editing and, and film. And, and I'm uh, excited to, to see what you do with this now. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to get out there and make a film reach out to your local filmmakers group to get involved and connect please subscribe to the show if you like it and follow me on instagram at tammy maguero until we meet again what's your story